bringing you the latest research, tools, and common sense tips you need to get and stay healthy. It's Talk Healthy Today. Here's Lisa Davis. So many, many of us live our lives where we think we'll just be happier when, when this happens, when this happens, when I get that job, when I get the promotion, when I, my kids grow up, <laughs> whatever it may be. But you know what? We need to be happier now. And I am absolutely thrilled to have the fabulous Natalie Kogan on the program. Her book, Happier Now, How to Stop Chasing Perfection and Embrace Everyday Moments, Even the Difficult Ones, joins us now. Hi, Natalie. Hi. Oh, it's great to have you on. All right, Natalie, I really love your book. And I just think it's so important. It's something that I've been trying to do for years because I have to admit, I was one of those people like, well, you know, when this happens and this happens and then a big breakthrough in my career would happen, I'd be super happy. But then I'd be like waiting for the next one instead of enjoying the moments in between. And and one of the things that really moved me is when you talk about being a refugee and being 13 and being in a red light district in uh, Vienna. And tell us that story about what your father did and, and how he really influenced you to look at life in these happy moments and make happy moments. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a wonderful story. So I grew up in the Soviet Union and we immigrated. We left as refugees when I was 13 in 1989. And the first place we stopped was in the settlement in Vienna. And, you know, we had no money. We had six suitcases of clothes. That was it. And my father, who is this brilliant physicist, uh, got a job during the night to unload crates at a local fruit market just to make a few dollars so we could eat. And he comes home, not home, to this little apartment my mom and I shared one morning. He was all disgusting and smelly. And he said, girls, Come on, get up. Let's go see the Vienna Opera House. The tour is free today. I heard it's beautiful. And my mom started getting ready. And I looked at both of my parents and I said, you are crazy. You know, we're in this disgusting place. We have no money. We don't know when we'll even get to the United States, even if you get permission. And you want to go sightseeing? And I'll never forget <laughs> it because my dad looked at me and he said, you know what? You're absolutely right. Life really sucks right now. And the thing is, we have a choice. We can either sit here and wallow in how awful everything is, because it is really awful, or we can take this opportunity to go and do something together as a family in this beautiful city that doesn't cost any money and find a little bit of enjoyment. And, you know, at the time, I ignored him. I went along with my parents, but I made sure they knew I did not agree with this decision to go and enjoy this little moment while not everything in our life was perfect or near perfect. And you know, it took me a couple of decades to learn that lesson, but I think what my father was sharing then, what he was living, is this idea that we can find appreciation and gratitude and joy in the little moments in our life, even when nothing is perfect, even when there's other things that are wrong. And the thing is, as you and I both know, it can't ever be all perfect, right? Like, we can never exactly. get it to a place where everything is amazing. And so if we're always hanging our joy, our happiness, our well-being on some hope that eventually in the future we'll get to a state of euphoria where we've made ourselves perfect, we've made our life perfect, then we spend our lifetime chasing that. And so that lesson my dad taught me, you know, I, I it took me 30 years to learn it, but it's a powerful one. Now, when did this shift for you in terms of, I know that you talk about um, getting into like a negative rut and needing to research this and say, wow, there's so much research out here and remembering your dad and saying, okay, I want to put some practices into motion. Yeah, and it's, you know, as with many things in life, I think uh, it often takes hitting a wall or hitting rock bottom or however we want to say it to really open up to a different idea. And for me, the shift happened after two and a half decades. So eventually we did come to the United States. We got permission to come as refugees. We started our life here in the projects outside of Detroit on welfare and food stamps. 
you know, very grateful to be able to start a new life. And I was so uh, anxious. You know, I was a teenager. I didn't speak English. I didn't know what was going on. And so I focused on becoming successful. And I thought that if I could just achieve a lot of success, then it would make the struggles my parents went through worth it. I would be happy. I'd make my parents happy, take care of my family. And so I spent two and a half decades becoming very, very successful. And I was, and I'm very proud of all the achievements. You know, I graduated top of everything. I got all sorts of impossible to get jobs. I became a venture capitalist at the age of 26 in an industry where there's less than 10% mm-hmm. women. And by third, by the time I was 30, I'd written a book, had a child, married my college sweetheart, had an amazing job. And thing is, I was very proud of all my achievements, but I was exhausted. I was overwhelmed. Um, I wasn't happy at all. I existed in this constant state of dread because I never allowed myself to actually enjoy any of these little moments in my life because I didn't feel I was good enough yet. I hadn't made everything perfect yet. And so the shift for me came uh, about six years ago when I just really got to a point where I wasn't functioning very well in my career as a mom, as a wife, and I stumbled upon research into happiness and well-being and was stunned to learn what I did, which is uh, two, two big things. The first was that happiness isn't some reward you get at the end of your life if you do everything right, but actually research shows it's one of the most essential inputs into being healthier, into being more productive, more creative, into having better relationships. And the second, as you mentioned, the slow practices was this overwhelming research that shows that there's these simple, scientifically proven habits and little practices like gratitude, like kindness, like acceptance and mindfulness that have been scientifically proven to significantly improve our happiness and how we feel if we do them consistently. And so this was the research that I spent a couple years doing um, and reluctantly trying because I just didn't see how it was going to make a difference. These little practices, you know, writing down three good things about your day. How is this going to make me happy? after two and a half decades of struggling and working so hard, didn't. And, you know, the punchline is it shifted the, not just my own happiness, but the quality of my life. It, you know, I, I write in my book, it saved my marriage, it improved my relationship mm-hmm. with my daughter. I think it, incur- it allowed me to do much better work. And these are these little practices that are, you know, they're within access of all of us. We can all start doing them. But for me, it took really hitting rock bottom to open up to this idea. Well, share some of these practices with us. So uh, I'll share three of my favorites. Um, so the first is uh, gratitude. And, you know, gratitude is this word that uh, I used to think like it's a thing you do once a year on Thanksgiving, you know, where we all hold hands and we say we're so grateful for our family and the food. And that is a wonderful tradition. But the gratitude that research shows makes a significant difference is really creating a gratitude mindset. And to create a gratitude mindset, we have to practice gratitude regularly, daily. And so as a little practice, and um, can you write down three things you are grateful for before you send your first email for the day? I find it's much easier to create a new habit when you tie it to something you're already doing. We all open our email. We all send our email. And so before you send your first email, can you jot down three things you appreciate about either today or something before? Two really important things. Be as specific as possible. So I'm happy to be alive. That's something our brain can easily ignore. Um, and you have to capture your gratitude in some way. Write it down, take a photo, share it with someone. My second favorite practice is something I call embrace your stress. So we live in a world that, you know, it's, uh, I know, you know, you probably see this as well, that's constantly telling us, you know, turn the negative into the positive, you know, just, you know, turn that frown upside down. And so we think that 
there are positive emotions, and then there's these bad negative emotions like sadness or stress. And in fact, research shows that uh, people who have the greatest life satisfaction experience a widest range of emotions over their lifetime. And so uh, one of the things that I write about in my book and that I practice, and it's not easy, I want to warn you, but that is so powerful is actually allowing yourself to feel your difficult things. for Embrace your stresses. Take five minutes and literally give yourself a time. I'm going to take five minutes. I'm going to allow myself to stress about whatever it is I'm stressing about. I find it very helpful to write it out because when you see your thoughts, you build a little bit of distance and research shows that you begin to experience uh, your quote-unquote negative feelings with a little bit less intensity. And then when the five minutes are done, actually give yourself permission to move on because You've now captured your stress, you've acknowledged it, your brain feels that you've acknowledged it, and you can move on to something else. And my final uh, favorite little practice is something I call blaster stress with kindness. So whenever we do something kind, our brain releases oxytocin, which makes us feel really good. It's known as a hug hormone because you release it when you hug someone. In essence, we've evolved to be kind. Uh, Our brain feels really good when we do something kind. And so to either increase how much joy you feel or I find it very useful when you're stressed out, Think of as many little kind things as you can do and do a bunch of them together because research shows that when you do these little kindness acts and clusters, you increase the benefit that you feel. So gratitude, embrace your stress to accept difficult emotions, and blast your stress with kindness to really focus on being intentionally kind to other people to feel more joy and less stress. Oh, I love all of those. It is so important. It really is. And it makes a big difference. Uh, yesterday morning, my daughter, cause it was a weekend, my daughter came into my room and she's very cuddly, which is great because she's 13. I'm very lucky in that. And she got in bed with me and she just, she just, oh, nice. She just put her head like up on my chest. I put my arm around her and it was just like the whole world melted away. And it was, Mm -hmm. I was Mm -hmm. just, I love that. And little things like that happen. And the other thing, too, is I don't know if you have any dogs, but if you look in your dog's eyes or even just pet your dog, that raises your oxytocin. And I'm a, like a dog fanatic. And, and like if I wrote down things I'm grateful for, can they be the same things? Because my dogs would always, <laughs> would always be on the list. <laughs> well, you know, as you said, there's a lot of research that shows connecting to your pets or even hanging out with them. It does. It releases oxytocin. And I love what you said about your daughter. So I have a 13-year-old daughter, too. Um, her name is Mia. The book is actually dedicated to her um, yes. because yes. one of the greatest impacts I've seen in my life after putting these practices into action um, has been two things. My relationship with my daughter has just become closer and more authentic just because I am present much more mm-hmm. and I'm less of yeah. the constant like stress anxiety ball of like I'm not doing enough, I'm not doing enough. And the second, and this has been the greatest gift, is seeing the impact on her. And seeing, you know, her being more self-compassionate towards herself, her not beating herself up so much, you know, she uh, messes something up. And so I love that you said that about your daughter. And, you know, ultimately, someone asked me the other day, like, ultimately, if I had to boil down, like, everything I wrote about in my book and I see in my research, and I would say it's human connection. You know, the leading health problem in America is isolation and loneliness. And research shows that when we're, right, when we're isolated and lonely, we have higher stress and anxiety. We have increased markers for heart disease and even death, shorter lifespans. And all of our technology isn't necessarily helping that. And so those elements and those moments of human connection. So one of my other favorite ways to practice gratitude and kindness together is to think of someone you appreciate in your life 
and send them a text or an email. So use that phone we're all connected to, but use it for good and send them a text and an email or an email and let them know why you appreciate them. It's amazing what happens when you do that because you'll get these, when I do this, I get responses from friends like, oh my God, what's wrong? Because what we're used to is that those expressions of kindness, we reserve them for really crisis moments. But why? Right? Every day is a gift. And so if we can make these practices something we do every day, it's amazing what happens and how often I hear back from when I do this from friends and they'll say, oh my God, you know how much I needed this today. And it was this tiny moment of human connection. And so, you know, I do these talks and we do happier at work um, programs at companies. And ultimately, so much in our own lives and how we feel and as part of the groups that we're part of, families, teams at work, et cetera, we can create so much more well-being within ourselves and the teams when we just increase those tiny positive interactions we have with each other. Yeah, it makes a huge difference. It really does. And I love that idea of writing the things down and really reflecting on them, especially when things are hard. And that's what you put in the title of the book, even the difficult mm. ones, because that's when you kind of feel like like you had started with that great story. Like, this is just crap. And you want us to go have fun? <laughs> like, get real. Come on, Dad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but exactly. And but my dad, you know, he, he, I mean, my dad and my parents are my heroes, for not just for, you know, how they brought me and they gave me this gift, but they're just, they are people who really live every day of their life. And they've had tremendous amount of difficulty. I mean, think about their lives. They came here at 40. I am their age. I'm 42 when they came here with nothing, not even speaking English. Wow. And they built everything from scratch. And so, the, but the lesson that my dad was teaching me back then, I think it's so powerful because I often, when I would hear about gratitude, I had this kind of weird feeling and like, it's like cheating on reality, like pretending that everything is amazing, but it's not at all. Like you, you, and that's why one of the first practices I write about in my book and embrace your stress, I just mentioned, it's about acceptance that, that yes, some things are really difficult. I'm not asking anyone to be grateful for every moment in their life, but when we're able to focus on something within the difficult, within the awful, within the stressful, that we do appreciate, we actually get more resilience to get through the difficult times in our lives. And there's so much research on this. One of my favorites is, um, you know, when they had those hurricanes in Florida a couple of years ago, and some people lost everything. I mean, I can't even imagine. They literally lost everything. And they did um, surveys, and they found that people who recovered faster emotionally were people who practiced gratitude. And sometimes their gratitude was simply, I am so grateful that while we lost everything and it's terrible, that we are alive and my family is safe, right? So they didn't ignore mm. the challenge or the difficulty yes. or the tragedy, but they found something within the tragedy to be grateful for, and that gave them greater resilience to get through it. And so for my parents, I truly believe, and this is the lesson I've learned from them, even if it took me a couple decades, I don't think they could have gotten through the journey that we took in the first few years of life here that were so difficult without this natural ability I guess they had to really find those tiny little moments and grab onto them. And so I always say to people, the gratitude is not a Band-Aid I'm asking you to put over difficult things. I'm not asking you to hide from them with gratitude. It's quite the opposite. Acknowledge the difficulties. Allow yourself to feel what you feel and don't feel like you're failing at life or happiness if you feel sad. It's human. It's normal. But then within the sad, within the difficulty, you find something to appreciate because that is your bridge of resilience. That will actually help you get through it. You are an incredible speaker, and I love your TEDx talk. Really fabulous. Oh, thank you for watching it. I appreciate really, it. 
Oh, wonderful. And tell us a little bit about your business. Yeah, so um, I started Happier, the company, after um, I had my own revelation after reading all this research, and I spent, you know, uh, a year kind of trying all these little practices that I read the research about, and then when I saw the impact on my life, I started talking all my friends' ears about them and buying them all the books, and then eventually I had this moment of realizing that this is what I wanted to do with my life, that if these small practices like gratitude and kindness and all, I think there's something like 37 little specific practices I put in my book, and each one takes a minute or less. Um, If they could have such an impact on my life, then I know they can help so many other people. And so I wanted to create a company that would help people teach them and educate them and also make it simple for them to make these scientifically proven habits part of their life. So we launched Happier about five years ago, and the first product, that we launched was the Happier mobile app, which you can download today, awesome. and it's a free app. And in it, you share, you collect and share moments of gratitude. And we've had almost a million people share more than eight millions of gratitude. Um, and we have unbelievable amount of emails and stories of just the significant impact that's having. So that's the first thing we launched. Um, we are, uh, as a business, we focus a lot of our energy on our Happier at Work program. So we actually go into companies and conduct these uh, multi-day happier at work training programs where we take different uh, teams through these interactive, kind of very creative, very unexpected workshops to help employees learn these skills, but do it as a team. Because what we've also learned is while it teaches the individual the really critical skills to improve their well-being, it also creates a culture of gratitude and kindness within the teams. And there's so much research that shows that that makes for most effective teams. So that's a big piece. And then the third big piece of our business is, um, you know, I, I put it under the umbrella of education. So I do a lot of speaking to large companies, small companies, and conferences. Uh, we introduced our first online course, the 21 Day Happier Challenge, so that people can get access to this education that I usually do in companies. Um, and our mission has always remained the same. Um, and it's really, you know, yes, it is my job and, you know, and I'm an entrepreneur with all the ups and downs that come with that, but this has truly become my life's mission. This is what, you know, it took me 40 years to figure out what I wanted to be. Um, and this is what I want to do. You know, this is a life mission for me because I've seen, not just in myself, but I have had the gift of being able to impact, you know, tens of thousands of people's lives. And I just see the magic of these little practices. And I am committed to bringing them to millions of people. That's why I wrote this book. You know, some people like to take a course. Some people want to hear a talk. Some people want to read a book. And so I'm out there as this, uh, you know, worrier of helping people learn these little scientifically proven habits so they can be happier now so they don't have to wait. They don't have to struggle. Um, You know how many people tell me it's amazing that they don't feel like they're enough yet. They've earned the right to feel happy. And I know I felt that way. And so um, yeah. I'm on a mission. I'm on a mission to democratize happiness because it is accessible to all of us. And, you know, one of the ways I, I write about it in my book, I look at happiness not as something you feel, but as something you do. It's a skill that yes. you can improve through practice. And I feel that makes it accessible to everybody. You know, only about 50% of our happiness is genetically set. That means 50% oh. of it is within our control. And I find that so empowering. That's fantastic. You know, you've got to come back because we're out of time. I think you're an absolute gem. I am just so thrilled. I love the book. I just love all of your work. Tell us how we can learn more about you, Natalie. The best way is to go to 
www.happier.com. You can find me, subscribe to our weekly newsletter, learn more about the book, and the book is available wherever you like to buy books, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, your local bookstore, whatever, whatever shopping experience makes you happy. Oh, fantastic. All right. I want to thank everyone so much for listening to Talk Healthy today. It's so important that we have gratitude and be happier now in the moment, no matter what's happening, to find that joy. And you can learn more about me if you go to It's Your Health at lisadavis.com. You can find all my shows. You can also find me on Twitter where I'm very active and you'll see lots of pictures of my dogs and lots of Mr. Baby. And I'm so glad you listened. Thanks for listening and stay well.